Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. And those that tune in on Facebook and YouTube, thank you for joining us as well. Studying the book of Job, bless God. The question of the ages, why? Why do these things happen? We're on lesson 12C. It means it's taken me three times to finish this lesson. And that is being on the defensive. So after a period of grieving his incalculable loss, Job is the first one to speak out in the bitterness of his soul. We talked about that. And though Job said nothing negative about his friends or to his friends, he wasn't even talking to them. They take offense and they seek to condemn him for his sin. Now, why do you think Eliphaz and his friends took offense by what Job said when Job wasn't talking to them? Why did he take offense? Or the friends, any idea? Yes. Okay, they felt guilty, and they also felt they were attacking their faith because Job was speaking out things they didn't agree with. What are some other reasons do you think that their friends took offense? I mean... Here's this guy, he's been suffering, he speaks up, he pours out his heart, and yeah, it's pretty raw, and it's, it's uh, pretty wounded, and yet they bow up and take offense at what he said. Any other I- ideas why they would do that? Yes? Ego. Ego, yep, you're right, it attacked their pride and what they believed. Yes? The truth can affect people in, in yeah, they, exactly, as somebody said, if you're ever in a chicken coop and you throw a rock... You know which one's been hit by all the squawking. So, yeah, they, they got hit by the rock, and, and the truth is, is painful in itself. So since, they're on, so since they're offended, and how many of you know you don't, an offense, the word in the Greek is scandalon. I'm taking a rabbit trail. Hopefully, I'll find my way back. But the word is scandalon, and from where we get scandal, and it's the, the, the word offense in the Greek is the trigger on the trap that'll catch, that when you spring that trigger, you're captured. I remember when we were kids, we'd go camping for a couple weeks up in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. And for several times, we would, my dad would bring a trap to catch a chipmunk. And so part of our camping experience is we'd come home with a chipmunk. But there was always a little trap in there. My dad would build this trap. It was pretty awesome. And there's a trigger on the trap that would close the door behind the chipmunk and it couldn't get out. And then we'd keep that chipmunk. I remember one time, it looked like it escaped. The chipmunk was gone and so we were cleaning out its cage. And I pulled out an oven mitt and there it was hiding in the oven mitt. It was, uh, it was what do you call it when they sleep at night? In... <laughs> Hibernating, thank you. My goodness, how come I could not think of that word? I thought of a bunch of other words, and they were not that word. But <laughs> So the, the chipmunk was hibernating. I, you know, it didn't have bubonic plague, thank God, or it had been all over me. So I always thought of that, that trigger on that trap, that's offense. You, you take the bait. And again, John Bevere's book, if you have never read The Bait of Satan, you need to read The Bait of Satan. It is a life-changing book. It'll set you free from being too easily offended. An offense is not just given, it has to be taken. There's two parts to an offense. 
You don't have to be offended. You don't have to take that offense, even if it was meant for you. And it wasn't meant for his friends. He wasn't trying to offend his friends, but they took offense. And that's the irony. Sometimes if we're too easily offended, we'll take offenses that aren't even there. I remember one time I was working out in the mines uh, on the summer, and the car started driving past, and it was my mom, and I'm waving at her, waving at her, and she just drives right on. And I could have taken offense that my own mother didn't wave at me, but the reality was she was just focusing on her driving. And so, so it's amazing the times we take offense when no offense is intended. Nobody's trying to be offensive, but Job's friends, man, they bow up and they take offense. And so, and this is often what happens when somebody's offended, we go on the defense. When there's an offense, we go on the defense. Yes. 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 Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yes. And then the whole world goes blind, right? And and that's that. You're exactly right. They were letter of the law in in their theology at that time, and so they're going to fire back. Any other thoughts on being offended and being defensive? Yes. Yeah. And I think you're going to recognize. Yeah. And if you have a lot of love and strength, you know, within yourself, right. to know the character, well, um, I don't care what people think of you. Yeah, that's true. Um, I hear you, I hear you speak well. I think that you are using. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it can happen if if you're pursuing the Lord, some people might take offense at that that you're that you're so zealous for the Lord. And the other flip side of that is if you are secure in Christ, you're not easily offended. Your security is in Christ, your identity is in Christ. It's not in what you do for a living, it's not what you have for for money or any of those things, if you are secure in Christ, then you're not as easily offended, even when it's intended to be offensive. Ronnie. I like what you said, Pastor. Um, we don't have to take offense. Um, I've been married for a little over 23 years, and literally about two years ago, when my wife and I got engaged, the Lord told me, like, why are you offended all the time? And that's the Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's the, probably the that is the the place where it's most important is in a marriage. If you cannot be offended in your marriage, you can handle offense from anybody, right? I mean, that's where you got to learn it. That's that's in the fire right there in the fiery furnaces. If you can. In your marriage, communicate without being offended or being intentionally offensive. And that's where it really matters. And, and if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Now, here is Job starting to defend himself. This is review. Number one, Job defends himself by challenging God. That's a problem when we get defensive. 
we're going to blame someone else. And he blames God. And to defend himself, he questions God's actions, why God did this, why God allowed this. And he, and he kind of infers that God may not care. And so letter A, we discuss this. If we accuse God of not caring, it's evidence we don't know God very well. Because God cares. So there's, there's no one that cares more than God for us. But Job feels like God's against him. But he doesn't realize how much God is for him. God has said, look at my servant Job. I mean, he's bragging to the devil. Look at my servant Job. This is pretty awesome. When God's bragging on you, that's pretty cool. And so Job views the Lord through the, the, the lens of his life, what he's going through right now. Don't view God through our difficulty and tragedy. He should view his current situation through the character of God, and that's letter B. Never allow your difficult circumstances to discredit or distort the image and character of God in your heart. What you're going through, don't let that change your view of God in a negative way. Job judges the justice of God. He's going to call on justice a lot. And, he, and what he's really wanting is fairness. And we talked about the difference. There's a difference between justice. Justice is always right. It, and it's always the same thing. Fairness can change and go up and down depending on the circumstances. And so Job feels that he's blameless and everything that's happened is unfair. And let her see, sometimes we see ourselves as more fair and just than God. And so Job challenges, he defends himself by challenging God. Then he takes on his friends. Number two, Job defends himself by insulting his friends. And so Job, they, they, Eliphaz says, it's your fault, Job. And so Job's now, remember, he wasn't criticizing his friends at the beginning, but now he's armed for bear. You know, they, they got in the middle of his, his pity party and, and started blaming him. And Job's, boy, he's ready to blast somebody and it's his friends. Letter A, just because you say something honest does not mean it was the right thing to say. Job said, how painful are honest words. So we've got to learn, letter B, to speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth, but it has to be in love. And we usually fall short on one, one side or the other. Letter C, criticism is rooted in our opinion. It's what we think. It's our opinion. But truthfulness is rooted in God's word. Criticism can change with any person's heart, but the truth is always God's word. And we need to hold on to the truth. There will be times we will be criticized. Isn't it true? No matter what you do, especially if you're in any leadership position, even if you're just a parent, how many know you're going to be criticized by them munchkins running around, crumb crunchers? And so any, in any position, in the, the higher up you go in leadership, the greater the criticism. And not all of it is warranted. Some of it's so unfair. And it's why we have to hang on to the truth of God's word and not what even the opinion of other people can bring us down. But it, the, the word of God builds us up. And so we are to bless and not curse. Look at James 3.9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, you kiss your mama with that mouth, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. 
My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, it cannot. And so, how, how do we do, why do we do this? Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Yes. Right. We say it all the time. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but that we do. We wrestle with flesh and blood. That's how we react, unfortunately. Whereas most of this is a spiritual decision and direction. I really believe, and I'll, I'll say this, I'll, I'll probably say it on some Sunday morning when I get the courage. But with y'all, I feel safe. I'm not worried. I can beat you to the back door anyway. So <laughs> Pastor Gary will block for me. But So I want to tell you something. I want to tell you how you can change your spouse. I should charge for this. If you feel there's something in your spouse needs changing, don't tell them. Because they're going to bow up and dig in deeper, right? Tell God. And I'll tell you what will happen. If you want your spouse to change and you're committed only to pray, one of two things will happen. They'll change or you will. And that's, I believe it. I've seen it. Jolene's prayed that I've changed a lot and it's worked. Uh, But truly with your spouse or a close friend or whatever it may be, but really in marriage, if, you know, and I do think we have to speak honestly to one another. This hurts me when you say that. That's not, there's nothing wrong with being honest in that way because you're trying to speak the truth. But if you really want your spouse to change and you've discussed it before and, and nothing's happening, pray. God, pr- pray that you would change them. Holy Spirit, change them. And I'm telling you, it'll either change them or it'll change you. The hard part is when it's to change you. Yes. Amen. <laughs> well, good. Now, you can't do that in a marriage, but uh, <laughs> change them or change their location. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. But that is okay to pray in a neighborly situation like that. God, change them, change me, or change their zip code, you know. So this is so important, and earlier on in James chapter 3, you know, the, the tongue is a fire, sets the whole world on fire, and you know that old saying we had as kids, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm me, that's such a lie, hit me with a bat, I'd rather you hit me with a bat than call me that word, and, and, and so it's important for us as believers that, that fresh water comes out of our mouth, not salty water. True. Have a choice. That's true. We can be a bouncy rubber ball and let that bounce <laughs> off, or we can be yucky, sticky glue and let it stick to us and be sour. And that's why, again, it's back to the truth. You know, somebody may say, you know, you're this kind of person, and you need to go back to what God says about you, that you're blessed, that you're his child, you know, and, 
and not take that offense. Offenses are given and they're also taken. But at the same time, we should not take offense. There are times when the leadership of the church should confront an, an offensive person. If someone's offending everybody, they should be confronted, you know, according to Matthew 18, you know, one-on-one, small group, and then leadership. And so we don't just excuse somebody being offensive. Well, that's just how I am. I'm just honest. No, you're mean. You're, you know, it's, you're not being kind. It's better to say nothing than to say unjust criticism. Uh, but, and the Bible says so much about how we're judged by our words. The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, will be judged by every idle word that comes out of our mouth. Isn't that, isn't that a little unsettling? So we do have to, be, we have to be careful not to be offensive. The truth can offend, but we shouldn't. And sometimes the truth is offensive. So we again said, is Job justified in defending himself by insulting his friends? He may not be justified by defending himself, but he's fighting fire with fire. He's, he's, two wrongs don't make a right. How many times have we heard that growing up? And so when we're falsely accused or slander, then we have a temptation to, to do the same to someone else. But the Bible says that, again, we are to not repay insult for insult, but to let the Lord's vengeance take care of it. And he will. God is just. He will repay. So we just have to, but I, I think the challenge is be, be careful when you criticize. First of all, make sure it's really done in love and make sure it's constructive, it's going to build them up. Now, it may not be initially. It may, you know, they may, you know, bow up. But if there, and there are times to speak into people's lives. There are times to judge. You know, the, the most quoted scripture is Matthew 7, 1. Judge not or you'll be judged likewise. It used to be John three sixteen. Now it's that one because don't judge me. Don't judge me. And the Bible says that we are to judge things according to God's word. Leadership is to bring judgment. It's just that you judge consistently. You know, don't apply the rules to someone else differently than yourself. And in fact, the Bible says judge yourself first before you try to take a a speck out of someone's eye, get the two before out of your own eye first. And so there is a time to judge, but not until we've judged ourselves first. Yes. Yes. Very good. That is our responsibility to those we love is to speak the truth in love. Uh, and, and I'm going to listen more to someone that I know loves me than someone who doesn't. And that's what we have to, again, chew the meat and spit out the bones. You know, 
God may, he spoke through a donkey. <laughs> you could tell him that. Well, you, you know, a, another donkey spoke in the Bible just like you. Um, maybe that's not right. I'm not sure. Yes? Yeah. Then it's so much greater. How could they? But it's like the fact is, we're all humans, and we're all going to fail each other at one point or another. And it's important for us to have a softness of heart towards all people and realize that none of us are beyond reproach. And and I think uh, we need to make sure, make sure we have relationship, and the people know we care before we're gonna speak in their life. I had a guy one time tell me that I was the prodigal son's brother. That's not nice. And my, my reaction was, you don't even know me. Now you're right, but you don't even know me. <laughs> I have struggled with that, to be honest with you. Sometimes I've been the prodigal son's brother. But I had a hard time receiving it because I, this guy didn't know me. And that's a big judgment to make of someone you don't know. And that's why the Bible's given us the steps. Matthew 18, you go in private. You don't seek to embarrass people or humiliate them. You go in private. And then if they refuse to repent, you take one or two along. And then, you know, if they repent, it's as far as it goes. You know, it's resolved. And the scripture is very clear how we're to judge and criticize and correct. So that's where we left off. Number three. Job defends himself again, this time by idolizing his integrity. Ooh. You see, look at Job 6:28. But now be so kind to look at me. Would I lie to your face, relent and do not be unjust. Reconsider for my integrity is at stake. Wow. You you get a glimpse into Job's heart. Now, even God said he was a man of integrity. This is a true statement. Job is a man of integrity. However, the, the most important thing in Job's life is his integrity. Now, is it, we're, gonna, we're not going to answer it yet, but is, we're going to talk, is that wrong to have the integrity to be so important to you? Look at Job 27, verse 5. Job speaks again. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. Now, we also see that Job, he, he was holding on to his integrity and it offended his wife. Look at Job 2.9. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, she's not in, that's not speaking the truth in love, is it? There's an example of not speaking the truth. Curse God and die. Oh, I feel so loved. But she, and remember, we, we dug into this a little bit. Job was holding on to his integrity more than her. And remember, she's grieving as well. She's lost her children. She's lost her wealth. She's lost her status. And so there are times, you see, Job has lost everything else. And so all he feels he has left is integrity. 
But he's out to prove it to his friends and even to God that he does not deserve this because he is righteous. He is blameless. He's a man of, he's holding on to that integrity more than anything else. And though his integrity is a very good thing, Job almost holds on to it more than he holds on to God. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like that, that old story I've told you 900 times, but here's one more time. You know, they had a vote in the church who the most humble man was, and they gave him a button, the most humble man, and then they took it away because he wore it. Because the minute you think you're humble, you're not. And the minute you have to prove your integrity, you don't have it. If you have to prove it, if you have to tell somebody, I'm a man of integrity, then you ain't. <laughs> right? And so integrity is a, a very important quality, but it's, it's who you are in private, not who you are in public. I mean, that's the whole nature of integrity is when no one's looking, you do the right thing. When there's no reward, you do the right thing. There's no attention, there's no accolades, there's no attaboys, and it's, no one else sees but God, that's integrity. But the problem is there are good things like integrity that can be idols in our life. Letter A, anything that we hold higher than God is an idol, even if it's something good. Now, can you think of something good that can become an idol in someone's life? Yes. <laughs> it's impossible. Sorry, can't take that. You're right. I mean, even a relationship can be, an, you know, I've, we've, we've seen people that were loving the Lord and then had a wrong relationship come in their life and they're not loving the Lord as much anymore, not going to church. And that relationship becomes more important than God. Absolutely. A relationship can become an idol. What are some other things that can become an idol? Yes. Yes, any, any of your possessions, your work, someone said, yes. Your job can be, when you, you know, that, you know that, that your job is of more worth than your relationship with God, that job's being elevated too high. And sometimes that comes at a price. Because, you know, in America, we, we reward hard work. And we actually encourage people to work more than they should instead of being home with their families and taking the right time off. And so those are all things. The, bo the body has to get rest. There is a Sabbath. It is still a principle of God. And certainly work can become an idol. Excellent point. Yes? Speaking of the body, uh, health and fitness, some people can be so obsessed with how they look that they start caring too much about themselves rather than God. Yeah, that's true. And you notice when somebody first starts walk working out, they're all baggy clothes and stuff. But then when they start to get buff, there's less clothing. You know, cause, and it's a good thing to be in shape. It's a good thing to be healthy. But at the same time, our, our bodies can be an idol unto the Lord as well. Any other thoughts about something good or benign that if it's in the wrong priority, it can become an idol in your life? Yes? Serving God. Okay. Now, this is, this is an excellent point. 
We can serve God more than we love him, than we worship him. And service should come out of our relationship with God, not higher than God. And there are, there are a lot of people that work hard for the Lord and don't know the Lord. You know, I'm saying in, a, in the way they should. We can serve the Lord and not even know him and not even love him. Nothing can come higher than our relationship with the Lord, not even our ministry. And believe me, as one who's pastored for 38 years, there are times where my ministry has been an idol. It has taken precedence over my family. It's taken precedence over my relationship with God. And we know that there is a priority of God, your family, and then ministries down the line. Sometimes pastors put it number one or number two over their families. Your first ministry is to your families. And I was sharing before that one of the things that we had to do as pastors, busy pastors with children, is whenever we could, we would include our children in whatever ministry we were doing. And so we ministered as a family. And there's a difference between you ministering and your family being at home. Whenever you can, families should minister together. They'll be coming a church work day. Let's do it together. Even your children can paint a curb. And actually, that, some of my, our, our fondest memories as a family are when we ministered together, when we were able to do things together. So very good point. Okay. There are instances in the Bible where good things became idols. Look at Numbers 21, verse 9. Now, the Israelites, once again, were complaining, well, there's no food, there's no water, so God sent them snakes into the camp, fiery serpents. <laughs> when will these people learn? I mean, what could be worse, tarantulas? I mean, snakes, and it bit the people, and some were dying from the venom, and so God said, take Make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a pole, and we know this was a figure of Christ. And whoever looks on the pole and the serpent will be healed. And what's amazing is people did. They had been bitten, they looked on the serpent, and they got healed. And there were people that saw that and refused to look at the post and died. And so this, they were to carry this bronze serpent as a reminder, don't test God. And so it was a good thing. It was a reminder. There were many things in the Old Testament, like altars and, and different things that God would tell them to build to remember. So this is what happened. Verse 2 Kings 18.4. That says, Zechariah, it should be Hezekiah. King Hezekiah removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. These are all idols. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. So there was something that God had was for their remembrance. Don't complain against God. It was a good thing. And instead they started worshiping the thing than the God who made it. And that's idolatry can sneak in so quickly that we don't even recognize it. Yes. Saint 
right. or a pope, right. or, or you know, all of these things, and, and pray to them rather than God, or speak to them and, and work like a, a go-between. You know? Right, gotta, right. You've got to drop off your prayer with uh, Virgin Mary so she can get it to God. Right. And, and those things can become idols. And the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one is the Father but by me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's one mediator, Jesus Christ. You don't have to have Mary or, or James or anyone pray for you because Christ is our mediator. But yes, we can allow even traditions or relics that are supposed to remind us, this relic of this serpent was to remind them of God, but instead they worshiped the relic instead of the God for which it stood. One nation under God. Just sounded like I was doing the pledge. Judges 8, 27. So Gideon, remember Gideon, book of Judges? Scared to death. He was a fraidy cat, didn't want to go to battle and all those things. God reduced his army to 300 people. Great victory. And he told people to, to bring in the gold from the loot, and he, he, he melted it down and fashioned it into this ephod like a vest, and it was to remind them of this great victory, and look what happened. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Orphra, not Oprah, Ophra, his town. All, Israelite, all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. There is, again, another good thing that became an idol because it was worshipped. They worshipped the thing instead of the God it represented. And so God wants us to be righteous. But if we're not careful, we can become self-righteous. It's a slippery thing. You just want to be a, a, a man or a woman of integrity. You just want to do the right thing. And then you get so focused about doing the right thing and it starts to detach from God and instead it's, it's just you know, your own kind of focus and religion and then before you know it, you're judging everybody else based on you and then your righteousness now has become self-righteousness. And how do we keep that from happening? Because I've seen it many times. In the pursuit of righteousness, people have become self-righteous. Well, having other people around us to hold us accountable and be in relationship with good Christians that have a firm foundation on the word of the Lord, that is what has helped me a lot because they're like, hey, you know, don't think too high and mighty of yourself. Yeah, we need people to speak into our life. I love what Promise Keeper said. Everybody needs a, an Apostle Paul, a, a mentor over them. Everybody needs a Barnabas, a mentor equal with them. And everybody needs a Timothy, a mentor they're mentoring. We need all three of those mentors in our life. And we all need a Paul. And Paul had no problem holding back words, man. He let it fly. What's another way we can keep us from becoming self-righteous? Yes. Prayer. Prayer. Yes, absolutely. Someone else. Yeah, I'm Ronnie. Yeah. You know, not routine, some intimate time with the Lord in prayer and in reading his word. Amen. And where does righteousness come from, true righteousness? It comes from God, not from ourselves. And so being in the word, being in prayer, saying, Lord, make your, you know, impute your righteousness to me, your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. 
That's, the, that's where it gets dangerous when we start calling it my righteousness because it's from the Lord. It's his righteousness in us. And what the, de- what the church desperately needs is men and women of integrity, but also men and women of humility. Like righteousness, integrity requires a balance, and that balance is humility. Humility is the counterweight to so many things, not just pride, but even in, in our righteousness, in our integrity, you need that counterweight of humility. And if we don't have that counterweight, then it becomes self-righteousness. Job is determined to defend his integrity to the death. Whatever happens, I'm holding on to my integrity. And again, at, at one point, that was a good thing. But now it's, he's, he's holding on onto integrity instead of God. He's holding on to his own righteousness. And Job seems to be using his integrity as a club against his friends. Whack! You know? Remember, he said, you'll sell off orphans. Whack! You know? But he's also, I think using it as leverage with God. God, you know I'm righteous. God, you know I'm a man of integrity. God, you know I'm blameless. God, you know I don't deserve this. And so there's a, there's a little bit danger in how Job is using his integrity. Do we ever think we can influence, control, or even manipulate God because of our own righteousness and integrity? I mean, we can't. Do we ever unconsciously try it? God, you owe me. I've been good lately. You know, do I have enough points yet? And again, that's where we're saved by grace, not by works. Again, the counterweight is humility. Letter B, when we question the way God works in our lives, we say we know better than him. Job's questioning God's actions. He's questioning what is happening in his own life. We know Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking. I like it in the Message Bible, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. God says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. For as the sky soars high above earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. We know God doesn't think like us. Does everybody know that? Okay, we can accept that. And we know that God doesn't work like we work. Can we accept that? Then why do we keep trying to figure out what God is doing and what he's thinking? I mean, you ever done that? I wonder what God's thinking. Whatever you're thinking, he ain't thinking it. So that's your answer right there. At least you'll know what he's not thinking. Whatever's in your, between your two ears, that's not what he's thinking. But we say, I wonder what God is doing. We're almost saying, I would do it differently. And inferring I would do it better. We, we, we have to trust that God knows best. and He only does what is right. And so... This is where we surrender. We will never hold a candle to God in what he knows versus what we know. We are are a kindergartner to someone who has multiple PhDs. 
It's not even close. And the way God works is not the way we work. Yet, I do think we should strive to know more about how God thinks and to know more about how God works. I do think we can grow in that, and that's through his word and through prayer and worship and fellowship with believers. And this is where small groups is so important. As Christians, we need to talk about this together in groups. And we can read the Bible, we can pray, we can worship, all things we're supposed to do. But the, one of the main things Paul warned about in the last days is do not give up meeting together. This was more important than you know, a lot of other things. Not, not more important than Bible reading or prayer, but, but just as important. There, there are things that cause us to grow as Christians. Bible reading, meditation, prayer, worship. Don't leave out fellowship. And some of our fellowship groups are just fellowship. You don't have to have a Bible study in every fellowship. We got lots of Bible studies around here. You cannot swing a dead cat around here without hitting a Bible study. And that's all good. But there's a component of Christian growth called fellowship or communion or koinonia that helps us grow because we talk it out together. We take these complex subjects or we just enjoy life together. Bowling, fishing, bless God, bless God right there. Somebody speaking my love language. There's a sixth love language. It's called fishing. Uh, but we need, to, we need to trust the Lord and not be so defensive when things don't go our way. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of Job. He did not know what was going on. And I thank you that he was a better man than any of us. And yet, Lord, he wasn't perfect and he fell short. And I thank you for your grace, God, because we are not perfect. We do want to be righteous. We do want to be people of integrity. Show us how to do that with humility. And so, Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of your word and the power of the fellowship of the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.